We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Buzz Beat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome back, Buzz Beat listeners, Queen City Hoops readers, and Hornets fans. This is our 43rd episode of Buzz Beat Radio. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets had a, a rough week, uh, being kind, um, having lost to Minnesota, New York, and most recently the Celtics last night. We're recording, the, recording this on a Saturday morning. Uh, so the Hornets are now 5-7, and seven, uh, and they head into a week where they will be playing uh, Cleveland, Chicago, and the Clippers. Um, so we're going to try to keep it as positive as possible. But um, if the conversation that is going to be recorded right now on the show is like the one we had before the show, it's probably not going to be too positive. So just, uh, just <laughs> buckle in. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know uh, and remind you that we are a member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Please check out almightyballer.com uh, for more great uh, content. Um, there you, you can find us as well as many other shows ranging for fantasy basketball, salary cap, and tons of team-specific shows there. Um, Sports Channel 8, make sure you're go, going and checking out our good friends uh, over at Sports Channel 8. Another huge college football Saturday here. Um, they've been doing a great job covering ACC football all season, as they always do. Uh, my, one of my favorite um, articles that I get to read every week during college football season, and one that gives me quite a, the great amount of comic relief uh, is their uh, their giftastic uh, ACC football ranking. So if you don't read that weekly, you really should. It's hilarious. Um, and now the basketball is really back. All the ACC teams are most tipped last night, so they got you covered there as well. SportsChannel8.com. It's where our good friend Brian Geisinger is from. On that note, Richie, Brian, Richie, we'll throw it to you first. What is up? How frustrated are you? Are you here with us? Are you ready to talk Hornets basketball, or should we just ditch this? <laughs> I, I was pretty emotionless last night. I was telling Brian before the show, like I was watching it happen, unfold before my eyes. And I think most people got angry at it, but you know, considering the fact that it just happened Tuesday night with the Knicks, you almost saw it coming. So I, I am angry, but as I was watching the game, I was just sitting there with a blank stare on my face, just kind of watching it unfold, because that, that should have never happened with that Boston team, you know, without Horford and without Kyrie. I'm ready to talk some Hornets, uh, but there are definitely some worrisome things that we need to talk about. No doubt. Brian, what is up, man? We missed you last week. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, good job holding it down, you guys. Uh, wedding was fun last weekend. Uh, I feel like I've been playing in catch-up mode since then. Great to have college hoops back. I uh, got to catch some of the Duke and uh, the UNC games last night. But, um, yeah, Hornets not exactly uh, raising my spirits here on a, on a Friday night, Saturday morning. So well, we got plenty to dissect here. Yeah, so a lot to dissect, a lot of uh, talking points. Um, we're just going to start with the Minnesota game. Again, we'll cover the uh, recap the New York game and then also the Boston game. So throw it to Minnesota first. Guys, I didn't get to see this game live. It was actually at the Panthers game last Sunday, so I was driving back to Virginia while this was going on. Saw a little bit of it on, on Monday. Um, 
Richie, let's start with you. I think you actually got to watch this game. Uh, not a good one at all for Charlotte, uh, especially after the first quarter. Um, you know, I think Wiggins had a big night. I mean, Minnesota had one of those offensive nights that we kind of, I think maybe their profile suggested coming into the season, you know, adding Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, I thought that uh, really all around the board, Minnesota was good offensively in that game. We were bad defensively. Richie, what are some things that jumped off of you uh, at the game at Minnesota? I'll start with some positives because I think we need some positive light here on this show. I thought Monk's distribution was really, really good. He had eight assists, which is his career high. And a lot of these assists are coming off um, him as a ball handler. And, you know, he's not a prototypical type of point guard. But when he gets in pick and roll situations, he was hitting Dwight and Cody actually uh, more times than not off that pick and roll. So I think we knew do need to give credit with uh, to Monk. He's getting a little bit more comfortable with the ball in his hands. Uh, so that is a positive. Another positive, which could also go in the negative, is Frank Kaminsky. He is tending to have one good quarter a game, and then the rest have been just abysmal. So he actually did very well in the first quarter of this Minnesota game. Uh, got things going for the uh, for the team, and we started off strong. Uh, I think we were five for eight from three-point land uh, in the first quarter. Uh, we kept pace. I felt like we led for a good chunk of the first quarter. Uh, but after that, it was pretty much all downhill. And Kaminsky, after the first quarter, was just straight trash. I mean, he had a decent first quarter, like I said, but the other three quarters were just awful, awful. I remember uh, Frank came in in the first quarter, and uh, Anthony Towns took advantage of him first possession, literally first possession, attacked him off the first possession and scored. And then Kaminsky, later in the game, he had Teague in the post and couldn't score. So, like, this just speaks to Kaminsky's game. Like, he will have up-and-down games and up-and-down seasons. And so, yeah, I think Kaminsky, he's a positive, but for the most part, he was a negative in this game. So those two things stood out to me the most, Monk's distribution as well as Kaminsky's up-and-down game. Yeah, they went— they went at they went at Kaminsky four times in the first quarter, like over the like including that first possession and at least three or four more times right after that in the final basically six minutes of the first quarter. Teams are just hunting him out and Thibodeau wanted to play matchup offense and just went at him every single time. Also say this is one of those games too where Jeff Teague made four three pointers in it. And I think at least three of them were like half court sets or semi-transition where the Hornets went under the screen. He shot over the top and made the three. And I kind of just think for Minnesota as a whole this season, games where teams go under screens on Teague and he punishes them, like Minnesota's going to win those games often. That's got, I think that's going to be kind of like a barometer for them. Um, just because even though Butler's been a little uh, less involved than I think people thought offensively, they have so much firepower. And, and if Teague's going to be the one hitting 26-footers, they're going to be tough to tough to beat too. Richie, I agree. I thought I thought Monk had some some really good looks in this in this game. I, I like when Charlotte brings them off a pin down into the DHO. That kind of you see a lot of teams sort of run that set nowadays or that that type of action to get guys going to the basket. But I think he looks really good um, in in those types of sets. Couple other things too. Minnesota entered the game shooting thirty seven percent on above the break threes. That's pretty good against Charlotte. They went ten of eighteen on above-the-break threes. This Charlotte scored 28 points in the first quarter, but they looked sluggish. This was the first time all year I really kind of thought, man, they just look a little checked out. I don't know if it was the end of daylight savings, which happened earlier that day or whatever <laughs> it was, but it was just – it was not a great uh, – I didn't think it was a great effort collectively from the team. Sunday night game, weird start time. Again, daylight savings. These things happen. It's 82-game slog, but it was just – it was maybe the, I thought the first time since the opener where I thought the kind of compete level was not really where it needed to be. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Also, just too many post-ups for Dwight, and the Hornets again tried using that line with Marvin at the three along with Frank and Dwight, and Minnesota absolutely smoked them in those minutes too. So I think it's time we probably shelf the Marvin Williams as a small forward option, at least for a while now. Now, that might be because Batum's out, so they're having to shift some lineups around. So maybe when Batum gets back, I think, you know, I'm hoping that goes away. No doubt. They just they have enough wings between Bacon yeah. and Graham and, and, you know, Monk can take, you know, obviously not the three, but just time mm-hmm. at the on the wing. I just think at this point there's too many guys there. We shouldn't need to even try to give Mar- Marvin spot minutes just because it, it – I don't think it's really working so well. No. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. He's just not 
he's not as spry as he once was. He's uh, definitely not moving very well so far this season. Although he still gives you effort. I mean, he's just kind of glued. It just kind of glued to the floor. You know, his feet are not, just not as moving as quickly as they used to. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I mean, I think that you can get away with it. You know, in certain parts of the game. I think where it might be necessary when the team is as banged up as they have been is maybe at the end of games. I mean, and that's something I want to talk about a little later, probably when we get to the Boston game. But I just think the days of Dwayne Bacon playing these, you know, clutch to semi-clutch minutes need to end. I mean, I think it's it's certainly a factor in a big uh, in a big way with some of the Hornets' struggles offensively down the stretch. But anyways, different conversation. You know, in the Minnesota game. You know, I noted, I thought Jeff Teague really sliced the Hornets up, um, just controlling the basketball and the decision-making uh, for the T-Wolves in the half court. Uh, I mean, he's just kind of the nightmare point guard, in, in my opinion, for the Hornets in their defensive scheme, the drop defensive scheme uh, against pick and rolls. He's just, Jeff Teague is too smart of a basketball player, too creative and shifty of a player uh, to just give all that space in the mid-range. He's a good mid-range shooter. You know, he can get to the rim. He's an excellent uh, ball mover uh, from side to side, which this team really, really needs. I think Minnesota, they don't have a lot of guys who are, are plus passers. Um, and Teague, I thought, really displayed that. I mean, he had 12 assists in this game. Uh, he has 18 points. He's four or five from deep. Brian, you kind of mentioned a lot of those threes come off of, uh, you know, Kemba trying to duck under him or duck under the screen, rather, keep the play in front. And, and Teague's not necessarily looking for that shot, but he's not going to hesitate to take it when he has as much space as the Hornets were giving him in that game. Um, yeah, a little disappointing. And look, like, you know, I thought uh, KAT, you know, Anthony Towns, he was he was smart in noticing that Kemba was ducking under and almost pinning him deeper under a lot of those screens, um, which gave uh, Teague more space. And he uncorked, uh, again, five threes, made four of them. I thought Andrew Wiggins got going, and, and I mean, he can be a really, really good isolation player. Yeah. Uh, you forget that. Um, and he kind of got got rolling there, I think, in the second quarter against Lamb and maybe Marvin a few times. But, I mean, I can remember specifically Lamb with his hand just right in Wiggins' grill. I mean, and Wiggins just makes it look easy um, from the left side of the floor when he gets going in ISO. Uh, so, look, I, I mean, again, I thought this was a – a good offensive performance from a Minnesota team that has a lot of different weapons. They shoot, you know, above 45% from the field, above 41% from three, um, you know, and again, Jeff Teague, I thought really orchestrated um, the offense to get the ball moving from side to side and just kind of slicing up the Hornets. Very, very poor pick and roll defensive coverage that game. And no MK2, right? You know, that, that that's and that's part of why I should have mentioned earlier talking why Marvin got minutes of the three. No, no kid Gilchrist. You probably could have used him that night on Butler or certainly Wiggins. And um, Crawford got it going off the bench for them a little bit, too. And Gorgie Jang had a good game. It is interesting, though. The starters actually played pretty well for the Hornets in this game. Um, That's with Bacon starting over MKG because he was out. Charlotte scored 129 points per 100 possessions with those guys on the court and gave up only 104 points per 100 possessions. The only problem, that was the only lineup Charlotte played against Minnesota more than one minute that scored better than one point per possession. So it was just it, I don't know, it was just one of those classic games where the starters couldn't build up a big enough of a lead basically to sustain any sort of bench lineup. Yeah, it was it was definitely uh, a disappointing result, Brian. You touched on it earlier. I, I agree. I think it did look like uh, Charlotte just mentally they weren't there uh, in this one maybe as much as they have been. Um, this season and look uh, considering the five and seven record you know and we can talk about some of the late game struggles we certainly will these next two recaps but I I will give the Hornets credit they have not you ready Richie here's my dose of uh, optimism for the day it's not gonna come (laughs) very often from here so but they have not slept walk into a game really at all to me all season I thought if you're gonna circle a game and say man who is this team I watched I didn't I just didn't recognize them on the floor from an effort perspective I think this is that game um and these next two we're about to talk about I don't think were at all and and the ones before that weren't so I think it's a good point Brian I mean sometimes you know stats tell the story but you know even to your point before we jumped on here it's not you're like I'm not one to say like oh the effort was just not good but I think in this game that's very fair to say um Anything else here, or should we move to New York and, and then Boston? Because I know we have plenty to talk about in those games. Just one last thing. I love Tom Thibodeau 
on the second night of a back-to-back, up 22 in the fourth quarter um, with five minutes remaining and having all five of his starters still in the game, too. Just ne- Tom Thibodeau, never change. Yeah, just run your teams right into the ground, my friend. <laughs> um, okay, on that note. So, New York, uh, this was a Tuesday night game for the Hornets. So, you know, semi-quick turnaround uh, after the Minnesota game. A game that uh, a lot of us noted was sneaky, almost a must-win for Charlotte, uh, knowing you had to go to Boston on Friday, thinking that's going to be a tough game to get. Um, Hornets looked excellent uh, in this game um, in the first half. They had, they hung 68 points uh, on New York in the, in the first half, 41 points. That's a high uh, in a quarter of the season. The Hornets did in the first quarter. Um, the ball was moving. Guys were aggressive. Uh, man, it, it was just really a clinic. I mean, uh, Dwight Howard's just eating whatever he wants at the rim. Uh, Kimball Walker gets going in the first. Jeremy Lamb's attacking. I mean, it was, it was beautiful from the Hornets in the first half. The defense was flying around, too. And then it really all came uh, crashing down there in the final quarter. I mean, I think like towards the end of the third is when you really start to start to see it unravel. But boy, oh boy, uh, the Hornets in clutch situations so far this season, it is quite pathetic. Um, And they displayed that in, in a very ugly way in New York. But Let's start. Let's kind of just ease our way into that conversation. So let's start with the first half, guys. I, I just again, I thought offensively the Hornets looked as good as they've looked all season, as energized as they looked all season. The bench is up, celebrating every play on both ends. You could tell how badly this team wanted this game, uh, and they played with that kind of energy and intensity out there. It was really fun to watch in that first half. Yes, I mean I think you know that we had everything going for us. This was a game that we had to have it wasn't a must win per se but considering the stretch of games that we're in this was the game that we could have won um considering all things considering and we played well in the first half we got off to a good start and what i've been noticing a lot and it happened in the minnesota game as well is a lot of our opening points are coming off side pick and rolls with dwight howard and and kimba drives baseline and that's where the off-ball defenders kind of lose their man a little bit and kimba either makes that pass to a driving cutter or to an opposite wing uh for an open open shot so i that's that's what i took a note of the past two games that's happened a side pick and roll on the new york game and the uh, minnesota game and he drives baseline and that's when all the heads turn and he makes an easy pass to a cutter but uh, i think the biggest thing is the second quarter, Malik Monk, uh, he just went off for uh, 15 points in the second quarter. Uh, and that's when we got out to our biggest lead. Uh, overall, Monk had 21 points, but 15 of those came in the second. I think if the second unit is clicking offensively, then we can compete. Offensive struggles, we've seen those out of the second unit, and we just don't have the defensive skill to stay with these teams out of that second unit. So if the shots aren't falling, I think it translate on the defensive end and we just see less energy out of that second unit. But Monk uh, was, was absolutely killing it, tearing it up on the right side, uh, 15 points in the second quarter. And then another thing to note, I mean, not a negative or a positive, but something that I'm starting to notice is that some teams, if they have the personnel, uh, they're going to start playing bigger, bigger players on Kimba. Nilakina, Courtney Lee, uh, both of those players had their opportunity in guarding uh, Kimba uh, this game. So those were some of the positives and some of the things to note before we get to the bad stuff. Yeah, I think that's going to be a trend we see all season. I think we've started to see it for a little while now. Just teams are going to just throw bigger guys at, at Kimba, and they're going to stash smaller, weaker defenders on you know, either Bacon or, or MKG or, who, or Trevion, whoever the sort of like offensive less less offensively mind wing is on the court and they can kind of they can they're getting away with it and you know it's working so far um some other stuff from this game that i thought stood out as, as a positive uh the starting lineup was great again scored over 1.4 points per possession um low turnover rate in this game they got a ton of offensive rebounds and I thought Cody Zeller and his screen setting was excellent. I mean, it's it's it, that's one of those constants. You can basically count on that every game. But I just thought he was doing a great job uh, in, in the screen and roll game and looking for guys to hit with screens to free up guys for shots. I feel like when the Hornets are kind of humming on offense, one of the sort of things that, that's not being taken accounted for but that's happening is, is Cody's screen setting. 
And yeah, no doubt, Richie, on those side pick and rolls with Kemba. And Malik's done a good job running those as well and has hit Dwight for a few lobs. And even last night against Boston, just to jump ahead real quick before bringing it back, but MKG uh, with a little ghost cut along the baseline snuck in for a slam dunk where Kemba off a side pick and roll Kemba too. So those have been, they, they, they clearly get, so there's just less natural help defense and they get some good looks out of that. But um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot to like. The first half was great. Kemba was incredible in the first half and Charlotte scoring almost 160 points per 100 possessions with Kemba on the court uh, in the first half. Uh, Charlotte made 15 or how many, they made at least 15 threes in this game. Um, that's just the 17th time in Hornets history they've made at least uh, 15 threes, but they just went power outage from the mid-range, only 5 of 24 from the mid-range, and only 2 of 11 on field goal attempts outside of, uh, of 14 feet. But, yeah, this, it was a good first half, and really that fourth quarter, um, tough tough to watch. And Porzingis was incredible as well, too. Should, should also say that. That dude is a monster. And uh, – hit two huge shots for the Knicks down the stretch. Yeah, uh, Richie, good point about the, you know, the side pick and roll is a play that has become, you know, really popular for Charlotte this year. And I think it, um, you know, it it evolves out of having Dwight out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, it's almost, it's almost where he he comes to set the screen going to the side and then flips his body like he's going to set it coming back to the middle, but he doesn't. He just kind of floats down the, the lane there. Uh, and the weak side defense has to dig in. And on the weak side, what the Hornets are doing is as Kemba drives baseline, as in any offense should do, they're floating one guy to the corner. And then usually the guy from the wing is cutting through. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot for the defense to account for. I mean, one of the guys on the weak side, the defenders got to come in and really tag Dwight or at least help on him. So then really you got one guy guarding the cutter from the from the opposite wing and then the guy floating to the opposite corner. So it's a really tough action to guard. Um, and we've even seen Kemba and we saw Travion whip that pass all the way back to the top of the key out of that kind of action uh, the other night, night in New York. But, you know, it, it's it's shown some efficiency, that baseline action uh, with Kemba just kind of dribbling uh, and keeping his dribble alive down there. But, you know, I think what it does is it, it takes, you know, it takes Kimba out of the play in terms of being the scorer, um, which bothers me a little bit. I mean, last year where Kimba was able to get so become so efficient at the rim as a scorer was the high pick and roll with Cody, where Cody sets such a solid screen, holds that screen, and then trails Kimba as the ball handler coming down the lane. Now Kimba's got all this space to operate at the rim. We just haven't seen that as much this season with Dwight out there because – I mean, frankly, I don't think Dwight is willing to come set a solid screen, hold that screen, let Kimba get some, uh, you know, get some speed going downhill, and then kind of trail the play. I, th- I think Dwight kind of wants to be yeah. the first one rolling to the rim. Yeah, I think it's so a byproduct this- of Dwight. Like the side pick and roll is a byproduct of Dwight. Like if you put him out in the high pick and roll, he's going to get in Kimba's way when he's trying to navigate, you know, getting into the lane. So I, I think it is a byproduct of Dwight, and yeah, it, it definitely lessens the effectiveness of Kimba trying to score because it's hard to score driving a baseline there but uh yeah i just think it's it's just dwight yeah yeah um you guys noted it you know monk out there with kimba so when monk's able to play shooting guard very very efficient 18 points knocks down four triples in the first half uh really awesome to see you know the hornets did a nice job of keeping new york off the offensive glass which is one of the uh kind of underlying things they specialize in so far this season we saw Cantor get a few of them earlier in the game but New York only uh, gets three offensive rebounds in that first half Uh, Charlotte ends up taking 10 more field goal attempts in the first half than the Knicks and overall they took 16 more field goal attempts than the Knicks in the game which makes it even more mind-boggling they were not able to come away with the win so I mean you look at like the hustle stuff the cleaning up the glass you know the limiting the turnovers um, solid I mean it has a profile, a game profile, uh, certainly of one that the Hornets should come away with a win from, but the tough shot making from the Knicks in the second half, uh, specifically from Porzingis. I mean, good golly. I mean, that guy late in games can pretty much get a shot off from anywhere on the court. Uh, Dwight Howard, I can remember one specific example late, uh, the, the shot that Porzingis made to put the Knicks up. Uh, I think 116, 113 maybe uh, gives Porzingis a little bit too much space. But other than that, I mean, the guy just hitting really, really, really tough shots. Um, Let's talk about the clutch 
for Charlotte here, and it's a, it's a conversation we'll have again in the Boston game. Um, guys, to me, I'll just kind of roll it out. It does not look like the Hornets have a plan. I mean, I don't I don't really know how else to say it. Um, and I love Steve Clifford as a coach, like most of I think the Hornets fan base. But there's got to be more creativity in these situations outside of handing Kimba the basketball, giving him a screen in cases where Dwight Howard's out there a half-ass screen, and then asking him to you know turn water into wine um you know i i, I think there, there's just got to be more creativity from the coach I mean, this is the nba this is the highest level of basketball on planet earth like we, we got to figure this out it's, this is frankly embarrassing for charlotte right now what they're doing in the clutch and i think it does start with the coach i mean you can't ask him to do this much and if you're going to have dwight out there here's the reality for everybody he is not unselfish of enough of a player to set get out there Make an unselfish play, a team play, set a good screen, get your best player free going towards the rim or at least in a mismatch situation to score the basketball because he wants the basketball. And that's fine. It's just not the most efficient way to win a basketball game. And he still doesn't understand that. So when I say that Cody Zeller should be out there every single time late in the game over Dwight Howard, I mean it for that exact reason because Dwight Howard's not going to make a winning basketball play when he needs to. Cody Zeller will. And it's it's really at the expense of this team, the, at the expense of Kimball Walker and his efficiency, our best player. And I think it's the root of why we're struggling late in these games. You know, last night in Boston, it's not a problem because they go ultra small, so you have to take Dwight off the floor. But if we can't figure it out as an organization that Dwight Howard should not be out there in the most important parts of a game, we can't figure out why he shouldn't be then the problem runs much, much deeper than X's and O's. And that's all I'm going to say. I don't think Dwight Howard is a winning basketball player. I think he's a basketball player who's been good this season. He's been great on the glass. Um, he's a force at the rim. He helps this defense. But when it matters, when you have to make the plays, the hustle plays, the get on the floor first, make it, get your teammate open, do the little things, I don't think he's the guy that you want out there. I, j- I just truly believe that. I think he's proven that throughout his career. And and. You know, just because he's reunited with Steve Clifford makes none of that any different. And we got to figure that out as an organization, or we're going to continue to see these issues at the end of games. So, on that note, who wants to take it? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's. I just like the way this team. I miss the way this team looks with Cody and Kemba running the offense. I just think everything looks better. I think the defense on the other end moves, flows a little bit better. Um, I just, I like, I like the look with Cody. I prefer. Uh, my my centers to be defensive minded screen setters, and that's really I mean that's kind of I guess Dwight does fit that profile, but it's not really what he wants to be. He still wants to I, I don't know if Shaq's to blame for this, but he still wants to be the guy getting post touches, and it just it it it's too much. And I know it's kind of an easy thing to harp on, but way too many Dwight post ups. And you know we talk about this, this team how they're having trouble scoring the ball and they're having issues in clutch situations. Well. You know what would help if we just took away the six possessions a game that we give Dwight post-touches and let him go to work, and we did literally anything else with that? Even if you just shoot a crappy three on all six possessions, and, and that's going to be a much better use of the possession than, than a Dwight post-up. He's turning the ball way too much on those possessions as well. But, yeah, no, this was – I thought I actually thought his defense against Porzingis in the fourth quarter was, was really bad. Yes. And, uh, I mean – Maybe he's being asked to do a lot. Yep. And Porzingis is the kind of guy that's like like Towns or, you know, whatever this team plays, 76ers and Embiid. But these sort of like stretch five guys, I mean, they're just going to – they're, they're going to like – it's like watching a dinosaur like Dwight trying to guard these guys. And it's, just, it's the past taking on the present. And these guys set a screen. They don't really pop or roll. They can kind of just stand there and float to the nail or stand above the three-point line and just torch the Hornets. And, yeah, and, and Brian, to that point, sorry, real quick, and then I'm going to throw it right back to you, but, like, I, you know, I had in my notes here, like, Marvin had some fantastic defensive possessions against Porzingis in yep. this game. And, look, like, I, I acknowledge, yes, Marvin Williams is not the ideal defensive fit, okay, against Porzingis, but he had yeah. some great moments in this game. So why not? Like, let me just pitch this question. Why not just – have him guard Porzingis when they have him as the nominal five, or they have Porzingis yeah. in there in the center, and then and then just go small. Like, why do you have to have Dwight out there? Like, what are you gaining defensively against a guy like Porzingis? And then 
you're not gaining anything offensively. So the, the mindset is just a suicide mission, and it makes zero sense. The uh, the they've started against Minnesota. They started with Marvin on Towns, and then against New York, they started with Marvin on Porzingis. But then come crunch time, they went back. They went back to having Dwight guard these guys, and it was just. I mean, that mattered mm-hmm. less against Minnesota. That was a blowout. But against the Knicks, it was like no, no, no. The strategy you started with, you need to stick with. Um, no one can block this guy's shot. Who cares if Dwight is two inches taller than Marvin? He's not going to – I mean, I'd rather put a guy that's not going to be able to maybe contest the shot that's going to be able to maybe force him off his spots a little bit more. Um, that's actually one of my one of my real frustrations with Clifford, who, like you said, Spencer, I'm a big fan of. That guy, that guy I think, is a great basketball coach. But just sort of the, 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 frust, the sort of stubbornness with wanting to play – just as basic and bland as possible and five guards fives and we 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 don't we don't go small it, it's time to mix it up a little bit and and now that mkg's back i'd like to see some smaller lineups closing games out with he and marvin and cody got those guys sort of guarding different players it's just it's not dwight like you said doesn't make enough winning plays bad free throw shooter and and yeah it's just like all that stuff rears its ugly head in the last five to six minutes of a game and, uh, man, it was bad against the Knicks uh, back on Tuesday night. Yeah, we, we didn't even touch upon the hack of Howard. So ha- having him out there late in the games, yeah. you know, they could just foul him like they did in Boston. They started in the second quarter. They started hacking him in the second quarter. Uh, yeah, I thought the Dwight Porzingis matchup to close the game, that's the biggest thing that I took a note of. It just it lasted way too long. Uh, they didn't yeah. bring Marvin back into the last couple possessions. And it was something that I had a note of. I was like, okay, we got to get Marvin in, got to get Marvin in. And by the time they did, it was just too late. You know, Dwight just can't guard those players out on the perimeter. And like you said, Brian, in the Minnesota game, they started with him on Taj Gibson, which was the smart Mm -hmm. thing to do because he's more of a bruiser. He might have somewhat of a mid-range game, but he's not going to be able to guard Carl Anthony Towns out there. Uh, So in the game, in the game, like you started it and have Marvin on on KP and uh, he was just lighting us up from deep and Dwight, you know, he just can't guard Porzingis out there. And I thought Clifford just took way too long to put Marvin back in there. And like you were talking about, Spencer, yeah, he does lack creativity. What's interesting, though, I feel like this year on after timeout plays, Clifford has done a very good job. But towards the end of the game. It just seems like that goes out the window for whatever reason. I don't know if it's a lack of energy, tired legs, uh, whatever it may be. I don't know what all factors into that. But, like, after timeout plays, he's done well. But at the end of the games, he just can't draw up something. Now, I think that was more of a factor in Boston than it was in New York. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I would like to see Dwight see less minutes, uh, Zeller or Marvin. Uh, more minutes in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and guys, let, let's be fair. I mean, the blame goes around to everyone. Um, I did a little, like, screenshot thread uh, of this game with four minutes. What did it start? Eh, about five minutes and left, less left in the game. A um, few big threes. Uh, Hardaway hit the first one. And what was kind of like a semi-transition opportunity for the Knicks, they're coming down. McDermott has it on the right wing. Kimba and Marvin are both kind of running – right around the nail on the middle of the floor and Hardaway is kind of floating around the top of the key and the, and Kimba and Marvin are both just looking at the ball kind of standing straight up no mm-hmm. one's pointing and counting for Hardaway at the top McDermott just pitches it back to him boom three you know so that was the first thing it's just like the defensive attention I mean somebody's got to be accounting for Hardaway there although he struggled this season I get it but like if you go back and you know look at my my Twitter roll there, you can see Marvin and Kim are both just standing straight up, staring at the ball. So Hardaway knocks that three down. And then on an inbounds play uh, with about just over three minutes to go, Hornets are up five. McDermott's inbounding the ball. He kind of just has to pitch it backcourt to uh, Frank Neokina, who then uses an O'Quinn ball screen, kind of dribbles around for a minute. And Lamb, just same kind of deal, gets caught just standing straight up, staring at the ball, McDermott uh, flows from throwing it in on the baseline to the corner, and Lamb just doesn't react until the last second. Uh, McDermott catches it, shoots it, knocks down the three. He was on fire this game. He came out of nowhere, had 20 points. Uh, actually, in the, in the fourth quarter, McDermott was 3 of 4 from the floor, 3 of 3 from behind the arc, and had 10 points, which is, I mean, he killed Charlotte in that yeah. final quarter. And, that, you know, a lot of that is on Jeremy Lamb. So, I mean, like, the lack of attention to detail uh defensively at the end of this game 
was pretty mind-boggling from the Hornets. And it is something Steve Clifford has talked about. He talked about it after the Minnesota game. It's like, look, things don't go our way on the offensive end. And we come back defensively, and we're just not we're not present. You know, we're not there. We're thinking about what just happened instead of getting a stop. And I think he's right. I mean, I think it, this team does certainly have an issue in that department. So, you know, it it doesn't all go on Dwight. and It doesn't all go on Steve Clifford here. It certainly does go on some of – the Hornets could have won this game as bad as they were offensively. Uh, they got 35 points uh, in that fourth quarter. And if they get one or two more stops and just buckle down when they needed to, uh, they probably get this win. So, you know, this blame does go all around. And then the only thing I, I wanted to note uh, on the other side of the ball offensively, it, it was very ugly at the end. There was a lot of Kimba dribbling around. Nobody else wanted the ball. But Malik Monk got re- two really, really good looks, I thought. One wide open look. He, he will not get a better look all season uh, and could not convert on either one of them after having a monster first half. So pretty disappointing there as well. And I'll, I'll also add, too, this, this reared its ugly head again last night against Boston we got to stop having Frank Kaminsky be the guy that inbounds the ball at these end-of-the-game situations. Uh, turnover on the last play against Boston last night. And then the last shot, Monk gets up. I mean, Neil Aquino made a great play fighting through the, I think it was Cody's screen, to, to get out and contest Monk. But Frank throws the, if that, if that pass is on target, and it's just it's a clean catch and shoot as opposed to him in the catch, and then kind of pump, and then dribble right, and then get up a contested pull-up instead. If that pass is on target, like you said, Spencer, attention to detail. Like, if that's just a little bit better, um, you know, who knows? Maybe Malik, you know, he makes a high cl- a high number of his catch-and-shoot threes. Maybe that goes in, and maybe in overtime, Charlotte Charlotte beats the Knicks. I'll also add to the lineup of Carter Williams, uh, Trevion Graham, Frank Kaminsky, Cody Zeller, awful defensively in this game, uh, giving up over two points per possession in their six minutes of action that that lineup also played three minutes in the fourth quarter. Things did uh, did not go well, and uh, like you guys said, the numbers sort of back up this notion that in, in crunch time the offense is really just give the ball to Kemba and hope he can do something with it. Uh, a usage rate over forty two percent in clutch situations, which is top five in the NBA, and it's right around a lot of these sort of other like heavy hitters like DeRozan, Kyrie, LeBron, D'Angelo Russell. And then James Harden and Russell Westbrook are actually right after Kemba. He's using more possessions in clutch situations than Harden and Westbrook. Although the it's just the difference is a few possession is a few percentage points. But but yeah, it's all it's all Kemba, and it's just it's not working. Uh, that the Hornets in clutch situations against the Knicks under five to play game within five points. Team goes one of ten from the field and zero of six on three pointers. It just can't happen. I think Kemba has to work harder with with Howard out there. So he's getting tired legs, and the offense is just him jacking up threes late in the game. And there was just too many threes that he jacked up and others jacked up, and we didn't get anything going towards the basket. But again, I feel like if Cody was out there, things move a little bit uh, more fluidly, and the ball moves a little bit because Cody can pass the ball. When Dwight is setting a pick and he is not creating any space – then Kimba's got to dribble behind him and basically jack up a three. And uh, I think what's ironic, I think in this game, Kimba actually sat right before the half. Like I think Monk came in at the beginning or at the end of the second quarter. To me, that's an ironic part of this game. He actually sat a little bit more in the first half than he probably normally did. uh, But still, everyone just looked so tired and they couldn't get anything towards the basket in that fourth quarter. Last thing I want to note, and I don't know how you guys feel about this or if you remember this play, it was... um, we were down one. Marvin came in to guard uh, Porzingis, and they set a pick on Monk. K- uh, KP set a pick on Monk, and then Marvin shows or switches, and for whatever reason, the communication wasn't there. I thought Marvin should have just showed and then recovered to KP, uh, but, but he actually basically switched, but Monk... I don't know. There wasn't any communication. They were both there, and they made that pass to Porzingis back to the top of the key, and then Monk overran Porzingis, and Porzingis drove to the basket, led to the New York uh, three-point lead to end the game. I just thought that was um, a a bad communication. I didn't think Marvin really should have showed for that long. I thought Monk was in okay position. I would rather have Monk trailing his man a little bit than having him to recover all the way to KP. Uh, I don't know if you what you thought about that, Spencer. You said that uh, I think you had a screenshot of that where he just kind of overplayed KP a little bit and went to his offhand. Well, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, no, no, no you're right. I mean, there was miscommunication there. Monk wasn't sure where he was supposed to be when he realized, like, oh shit, I got to recover to KP. 
he just kind of sprints to his weak hand, which allows KP to put the ball down on the floor with his right hand, his strong hand. Now, he can go either way, but, like, that's just, like, one minor detail, especially in the NBA with a young guy defensively is going to make, like, especially at the top of the floor. The Hornets are always icing or downing stuff at the sidelines. They're trying to keep the ball on the sideline. But from the top of the floor, really in any situation, as a defensive player, you're taught take away the player's strong hand because obviously he's got all the space he needs. He can go right or left. And Monk just runs right to his weak hand, which allows Porzingis to put it in his right hand to get to the rim. But not only that, Monk should be able to, and Nate Duncan did a good job of noting this on Twitter, Monk should be able to move his feet and get back in front of a guy that's 7'3". Uh, I mean, there's really no excuse to let that guy get by you and then continue to go by you and create separation. Like, And that's just like a, a give a S factor for Monk that he's got to improve in. He's got to want it more defensively, especially in a situation like that. Richie, I'm glad you brought that that play up, which is a big one in this game. Um, you know, hey, look, props to Clifford for trying to get a little creative defensively there and to kind of switch everything. Um, type of defensive line. But if it was but, a switch, know. everything. Why was it that communicated yeah. with Monk? I feel like the blame is just as much on Marvin. I feel like he showed way too long. I would rather have him show real quickly and go back to KP than have Monk try to recover so quickly because Monk was not necessarily in a bad position on that pick and roll when I, when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that that, that might have been in the huddle the one situation you don't switch right like right. Marvin's got to fight through it and stay with Porzingis there uh show hard get back and and they didn't communicate through it who was who was Porzingis running the pick and roll with like who was Monk guarding do you remember was um it, I, I was it Neil it, uh, it was probably that's it's not it's not I was just it's just but the, the point is the fact that we can't think of it that leads that's that should probably say hey you should have stayed more with Porzingis you know what I mean like Whoever, whoever is right. the Nick, whether it be Hardaway Jr. or Neil Aquina or, or Jared Jack or whatever, whomever, uh, yeah, the priority needs to be, hey, we can't leave this the seven foot three guy that can shoot from everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it it was Neil Aquina, I believe, in that situation. Yeah. Um, so so the horn. Anything else in this game, guys? And we'll move <laughs> on to Boston because I know we'll have just as much to talk about in a similar fashion. Yeah. Um, Same story, different game. Yeah, exactly. I did want to note one thing, uh, and it might come up next game, but I wanted to make sure I said this. Um, Brian, you brought up Michael Carter-Williams, uh, how he's been uh, – he was a disaster in parts of this game defensively. If you, Everyone's probably noticed he has really impacted the game by just getting his hands in passing lanes since he's been back from injury. Actually, right now, per 36 minutes, um, he's averaging 8.1 deflections, which is double – what anyone else who's played at least 40 minutes this season in the NBA uh, is averaging. So second in that category is Paul George at 4.8 deflections per 36. So, I mean, obviously very small sample size and that will certainly come down, but Carter Williams has given the Hornets defense a little bit of juice in terms of just playing with active hands. And he's created some fast break opportunities, live ball turnovers Mm -hmm, for the Hornets mm -hmm. uh, in, in the few minutes he's seen this season. All right, Boston game. Um, Richie, I, I'm just going to throw it to you first. You you roll this one out for us. Oh, gosh. Oh, I don't <laughs> want to roll this one out. Yeah, I, like I was stating before, like it, it just seems so much like the game uh, in New York. Uh, we started off, and first off, we went into the game without Horford playing. So that was already one thing in our favor. Um, and not to wish injury on anyone, but Kyrie got injured real early. Uh, he had a bloody nose, and then they had to test him for some concussion symptoms. So he was out uh, all of the first quarter, and then we got news that he wasn't coming back. So all these things were lining up in our favor. We played well. Uh, Kaminsky actually caught fire in the second quarter where he scored eight points. But again, he has these one good quarters, and then the rest of the quarters he just doesn't make a shot from the field. So I I don't know. I just think, again, I don't want to harp on it too much, but our second team defense is awful. Our offense was awful in the second half. Um, Dwight Howard, to me, in this game, was just not mentally in it. You know, with the crowd and the technicals, he just gets too caught up in the crowd and personal battles with the opposing bigs. He creates silly turnovers. He traveled one time in the second half where like he just basically switched his pivot foot twice. Dude, it was, it was just incredible. funny. That was incredible. Absolutely <laughs> incredible, too. That, uh, that one Dwight traveling turnover was, uh, 
was pretty incredible. No, coming into the game, you're pretty sure Horford's not going to play. The the splits are favorable for Charlotte in that regard. As much hype as Kyrie has coming into this game, Horford's probably been their best player. And and the sort of the on-off differential would, would prove that. Even when Kyrie's on the court and Horford's off, Boston actually has been crushed in those minutes. Um, and, and maybe some of, that's, some of that's left over from the first two games, which they lost. But you kind of thought they had a pretty good chance of winning this. And then Kyrie goes down. And, you know, all the credit to Stevens for, for Brad Stevens for keeping Boston frisky, keeping them fighting. I mean, they, they played their, their asses off on defense. Uh, Smart, Rozier, all those guys. Tatum had some great offensive plays in this game, too, for a 19-year-old rookie. And Stevens also not afraid to go small and play Marcus Morris at center and with the rookie semi Ojale at, at power forward. And, yeah, the starters played pretty well in this game. But, Richie, like you said, Second unit, bad defense, and uh, I'm sorry, like Boston didn't really offensively. They shot 38% from the field in the second half. They scored under one point per possession in the second half. They shot 31 points, but Charlotte scored 11 points in a quarter. You just like you can't win if you do that. And in the fourth quarter, just you didn't think any of the shots were going in. I think Kemba hit one mid-range pull-up, but like outside of that, it, all of it was was just, here, Kemba, here's the ball. Please go save us. And shots just weren't falling last night. And part of that is bad luck. And the other part is Boston playing um, great defense. And Charlotte tightening up in the fourth quarter after they blew a 16-point halftime lead. So, yeah, no, not good uh, in the Hub City last night. It was not. It was not good. Um, You know, I noted one thing I thought was interesting in the first half. So to start the second quarter, Clifford has Cody out there with Dwight. Uh, along with, um, I guess what was, who else were they out there with? I mean, I think they were out there with the youngsters, so Bacon, Monk, and then maybe Carter Williams. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting lineup. I don't know if we'd seen that lineup at all this season so far. I don't think we had. Um, so I th- yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think it created some problems for Charlotte in terms of just the drive and kick. It was against a very small Boston lineup, which I thought was the most interesting aspect of it. So it was against Shane Larkin, uh, Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, Abdul Nader, and, and Tice. So a very switchy, small Celtics lineup. You know, I think Charlotte did fine. But the driving kick was a problem. The Celtics got some open looks. Uh, I believe Tice knocked down a three uh, against that lineup. Uh, you know, the offense for the Hornets was not pretty necessarily with Cody and Dwight out there, but they did create second chances on the offensive glass, which I think is the blueprint. You're going to have both those guys out there. It's just two guys in the offensive glass just try to play bully ball, and they were able to do that in those few minutes. You know, I, I, the Hornets were showing a lot of different looks um, in this game. Uh, which I thought was was interesting. And the Celtics kind of give you that opportunity because of how small they can go. And then when they roll a guy like Baines out there, it's more of a traditional look. Um, So, I mean, the Hornets went, again, the situation I just laid out, really big against a small um, Boston lineup, and then actually come back with Frank as the nominal uh, center when they had Baines out there at one point. So there was a a definite chess match going on in this game between – Clifford and Stevens, which, look, I gave Steve Clifford some credit for that. We, we hound on him for not being creative enough, and I think he actually tried to take it to Stevens in this game a little bit with his lineups, especially when Kyrie's not out there, and you can get a little bit more creative with who you're trotting out there. Um, so I thought that was an interesting aspect of this game that, that will probably get overlooked. That's um, interesting, yeah, because they normally take Lamb off first, or they have been recently, but they didn't in Boston. They took Marvin off first. So I don't know if he was like overthinking it, but like he definitely experimented with some lineups. Maybe it's just me thinking this, but I feel like there was more lineups in this game than I've seen in recent memory. I, I like them using, uh, trying, trying at least, the uh, the Frank Kaminsky Marvin Williams four five I know that historically has not had a, a lot of good sec- success in the sort of limited uh, exposure that's had the last two seasons but I um I, I'm a fan of trying to get get that look just because it's a little bit more offensive uh, firepower out there for Charlotte and uh, I thought they got some good looks over the course of just a few minutes with uh, with Kaminsky and Marvin I I kind of wish Clifford would I, I know some people aren't crazy on. Frank getting minutes at the five, but I think in situations when you're trying to juice up the offense, um, it's not it's not necessarily a, a bad option just because you're able to put five shooters on the court 
you know, unless MKG's out there, in which case four shooters, but two coming from the uh, sort of the power positions as well. But uh, yeah, Boston switching. Is, uh, Spencer, you brought this up was was awesome last night. And it's crazy to what when you watch a team like Boston that's playing incredible defense right now, and you see the Warriors do this when they're locked in too. You just you can't. It's insane to see when a defense is synced up like that. They have all these great defenders with long arms, similar in build, and and they're well coached and they're moving on a string, and they just take away so much of the stuff you're trying to do. You're thinking, hey, when that guy comes off the screen, he should be open, but boom, he's not there. And so every possession is going later in the shot clock. And what it ends up, it just boils down to, hey, your best player needs to be able to make a shot against us just because that's, that's kind of the way it goes. But uh, Kemba, couldn't, Kemba couldn't hit last night um, over the top of, of Boston's defense, and they switched everything and took everything else away. And it, it, I mean, they're just so locked in on that end right now. It's kind of unbelievable. You know, it is, Brian, and the interesting part, I'm looking at cleaningglass.com, looking at some of the numbers from this game from last night, and one of the things I realized this morning, the Hornets did not take one, not one, corner three last night, and against a team that switches as much as Boston does, you know, how do you attack switches, you know, switching defenses, you know, you... You know, Marvin's really good at it. You run to set a screen, you slip the screen. That That's really hard for switching defenses to, to navigate. Mm-hmm. You have to attack certain matchups, right? So you get the right switch, you get an advantage, you have to attack that going to the rim. You play with smaller lineups. Clifford tried to do that with Frank out there. Had some success. But to not be able to camp some guys in the corner and go find a mismatch, go at it, and just get the ball moving around the floor against a scrambling defense is, is pretty mind-boggling, actually. I mean, you'd think that against a switching defense, you'd actually be able to get more corner threes potentially uh, by just, especially with a guy like Kimba, who can get the right mismatch and go at it. Um, but the Hornets just weren't able to do that, and they especially were not able to do that here late in the game. So let's let's kind of move to the late uh, late game situation here. The clutch, uh, I guess, is it's uh, technically called anti-clutch. The yeah, that we are the anti-clutch. No yeah. clutch gene, you guys. No clutch yeah. gene. <laughs> so so I, I'm, let me preface the clutch uh, conversation that we'll pretty much end the show on okay. with these numbers. Brian, you talked about you had some numbers, so I'm going to throw some out there. We probably have similar ones, the same ones. If not, fill in the blanks for me. But <laughs> all right, get comfortable, horse fans. Uh, grab something on really tight. Hang on tight here. This is going to get up. <laughs> so – the clutch numbers right now for the Hornets, right now they are worst by a mile in offensive rating. 80.3 offensive rating, again, worst in the NBA by a ton. Um, 30, or excuse me, 28th in assist percentage, 30% of the Hornets' uh, baskets are assisted on uh, in, the, in the clutch. Uh, 26.9% effective field goal percentage, Eat last by a country mile. And then 39.3% total shooting. Total shooting percentage, 39%. Hard. That's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, someone else, it, what it boils down to, someone else has to help Kimba or, like we talked about earlier, Clifford's going to have to get more creative. But, I mean, those numbers, Brian, are they're, so ugly. They're, they're atrocious. And you and I are overlapping a lot here, but I'll just throw a couple other things out here. In those clutch situations, which the league defines as, again, under five minutes, game within five points, Charlotte is just one of 18 on three-pointers, uh, 5.5% on threes. That is also worse than the NBA, no surprise. On an individual basis, three-pointer, three-point attempts in clutch situations, Kemba, 0 of 8, Marvin, 0 of 4, Malik Monk, 0 of 3, uh, Jeremy Lamb, 0 of 1. Frank Kaminsky's the only guy to make a clutch three-pointer for the Hornets so far this season. He's one of two. Uh, shooting in the clutch, Kemba, overall, 6 of 18. Marvin, 0 of 7. Malik Monk, 0 of 3. Jeremy Lamb, 0 of 4. Dwight Howard has yet to attempt a clutch field goal. Um, he's missed two free throws, though, in that stretch of time. So, yeah, the, the numbers in these clutch situations are are. They're they're ugly. The, the clutch defense has actually been pretty good. They have the in terms of defensive rating, they have the fifth the fifth best clutch defense in the NBA. Now they've only played 22 minutes so far, so there, there's some noise in some of these uh, perhaps some of these sort of like uh, offensive and defensive rating numbers. But the shooting numbers now those those are bad. You know those those it, even in a vacuum, 
um, you know, especially in a vacuum, those are bad, and, and we can kind of even add a little bit more context to them. But yeah, it's the, the shooting woes in the clutch situations are awful. And, yeah. you know, Batum, the return of Batum will help, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a cure all. And, you know, this reared its ugly head in a game against Boston when you had them wounded and you just, you can't lose that game. And w- once again, they were kind of befuddled and let down by maybe the game shouldn't even gotten to the clutch. No. Uh, yeah. These sort of close end of game situations. Nope. But once it, I think that's that sort of adds to the inevitability of the loss. Richie and I, you and I were talking about this, how we saw it coming. And it's because one of the things, it's like once you know once the game gets to within two possessions late, it's just you know you know they're not going to win. Like they're 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 going not going to be able to score the ball, and the other team's going to race past them. Yeah, and I just want to say, and then Richie jump in here, but I just want to say one thing real quickly. You're you're absolutely right, Brian. Like. 22 minutes is that what it's been total in the clutch for the Hornets? Okay, so yes, there's certainly some noise here, right? Like very small sample. Like, don't take this to the bank. I mean, but what is real? What is certainly real? And the human factor in this mm-hmm. is there's an anxiety for Charlotte in these situations. There's a clear uh, fear factor and demon that they're dealing with mentally, and it extends past past the players. I mean, it extends to the coach. He's not sure what he wants to do or, or needs to do in these situations. We talked about having Dwight out there earlier, which has been a problem. He wasn't last night, obviously, because the Celtics go ultra small, so it forces Clifford Clifford's hand barely, but <laughs> does to get him off the floor. Um, so, but you know, the human factor of this is just as bothersome as anything else. Yeah, that, that, ahead, that's where the relationship comes in. He's so tied to Howard that I feel like he wants to play him out there in, in a crunch time situations. But in, in all likelihood, he should not be out there in, in most lineups. And I know, Brian, you said our defense has been pretty good. But like this is on defense from the eye test. When you see Dwight out there on teams that go small at the five, it's an issue. It's an issue. So yeah. we, we have been playing you know well in these 22 minutes or whatever you said uh, in the crunch time situations on the defensive end, but he's just not equipped to guard bigs on the perimeter. Totally. And this is putting yeah. pressure on the offense because we're having to keep pace, which we aren't. And I think one of the biggest issues is Howard. And I, we talked about this earlier. He bogs things down in the offense. There is the factor of the hack of Howard uh, before it gets to two minutes uh, when he's out there on the court. So I, I think it's not going to solve everything, but I think he needs to be off the court late in games. And the ball movement just isn't there when he's out there. You know, it, it could be partly due to tired legs, but I think if we had Cody, who's a tireless player, um, he's going to get the ball moving. It's going to put more pressure on the opposing team's defense. Um, teams aren't having to work on defense when we're out there because Kimba's just pounding the rock, shooting a shot. And then we're having to expend all our energy on the opposite end, and uh, we just can't make the comeback. So, yes, defense is not an issue uh, and it, based on the numbers, but when Howard out there, he's just not equipped, and it's putting pressure on the offense to try to catch up. So uh, the tomb will help. Uh, but I think right now, Howard, as much as you have a relationship with him, Clifford, he doesn't need to see the, the court uh, under five minutes. Yeah. Um, so the Hornets in the fourth quarter, 4 of 20 shooting, 20%, 0 of 5 from behind the arc. That's 0%. Um, <laughs> six turnovers. Um, Dwight has three turnovers in, in the final quarter. Um, when th- you could really see, see things start to unravel there right in the middle of the fourth quarter where Dwight's like coming to set a screen, but then like stops at the elbow and like half puts his chicken wing out to like take a little pass at the elbow and somebody throws it to him. It's a turnover. You could just, the offense, you could just see it happening. Like they just had no idea what they wanted to do. They looked terrified. The crowd was getting under their skin. Um, Dwight comes out shortly after that. But anyways, the, the other thing I wanted to note, well, two things. One, <clears throat> When Cody's out there with Kimba at the end of the game, I mean, give the Celtics credit. Their defense was was solid at the end of this game. But it's weird to me how Kimba's just really reluctant to drive to the rim, um, which I think is, is is very uncharacteristic of Kimba, especially in, I think, a late-game situation. Um, he's, yeah, he's really trying – he's really hunting this three-point shot at the end of games and clutch situations to me – with his defender trailing him, and he's mm-hmm. still hunting that that foul, foul. That, he, that him and Batum were so prevalent in getting last year. It's not being called as much in the NBA this year. Kimba's getting it some, but he's not getting it in the clutch. And I'm a little 
uh, yeah, I'm a little confused as to why he's looking for that at the end of games and not driving to the hole, especially last night when he has Cody out there with him. I mean, he's got, with 3.30 left, he's got a, a situation where really it's one-on-one with Baines uh, right at the three-point line, and Kimba pulls up instead of driving at him. That's the kind of stuff we've already talked about this season. He's got to be better than that. I mean, I know he's gassed at the end of games, but drive the basketball to the hole. We ask you to do a lot. I know the Hornets ask him to do so much at the end of games, but it's not going to cut it for him to take a bad contested shot against Aaron Baines. We could, he could presumably easily drive around him. Uh, and then the other thing is Jeremy Lamb looks officially terrified at the end of games um, as any kind of offense creator. I mean, at least last night he doesn't chuck a terrible um, you know, three from the top of the arc, but he does not want the basketball in those situations. Those are the two things I really noted. Um, and the last thing I just want to get off my chest here, Kim is now 5 of 25 from behind the arc in his last 25 attempts. Um, and that's all comes within this four game losing streak. So not great for Charlotte. Um, BG, anything you want to add? And then we'll we'll kind of start to wrap this thing up. Just tell a couple quick things. One, it's a bummer to have this four game losing streak because it came after a really good stretch at home with wins over all over good teams, including a Memphis team that you've seen beat Golden State and Houston multiple times this year. So that's been a little deflating because you thought, Hey, maybe maybe they really have something going on here. And as soon as they hit the road, they played pretty well at San Antonio. But the last three games with Kemba on the court, the Hornets are scoring scoring only 100 points for 100 possessions with Kemba on the court. I mean, that's that's the worst offense in the NBA. That is on the, the rate of the worst offense in the NBA, and that just can't happen. Like they're going to lose every game if that's if that's the case. They have to be able to rate. They have to be able to outscore their significantly. And because the bench has been so rough with Kemba on the court. I would also like to add, too, I can't zero in for clutch num- clutch time minutes here, but in the fourth quarter uh, with Cody Zeller and Kemba Walker on the court together, the Hornets scoring 126 points per 100 possessions and giving up only 88 points per 100 possessions for a net rating of, 30, of plus 37. Um, also, with Cody on the court in the fourth quarter, uh, Kemba has a true shooting rate of 71%. Uh, Kemba in the fourth quarter with Zeller off the court, a true shooting rate of only 52%. So a difference of about 20 percentage points uh, between Cody being on the court and Cody being off the court. Uh, just so I don't keep rifling through numbers here, as you can imagine, the splits with Dwight aren't quite as friendly in the fourth quarter with uh, with Kemba. See, so, yeah. I, it's, yeah. I knew my eye test was pretty good. I knew my eye test was good. Yeah, get Cody out there. Howard off. But, uh, yeah. Hey, let's end on a positive note. I thought Bacon played well in the mid-range in Boston. He did. Uh, yeah. He did. He was kind of playing into the trap. I felt like Boston was trying to set of running dudes off running dudes off the line. But, hey, we'll take five out of six or five out of five, whatever the shooting track was from the mid-range. That you, you can definitely live with that. But I do feel like Boston was trying to run dudes off the line and force things back into the middle. Um, so he was kind of playing into that trap a little bit. But, yeah, he had a great, great shooting game last night. And he certainly steps up and pulls up with confidence on, on those. And he hits them even when they're contested, too. Yeah, they're all off really dribbles, and, and several of them were contested, like you said. Yeah, good good minutes from Bacon last night. Hard to have him out there in, at the end of games. He's he's kind of like lamb, a hot potato, get it, get it out of my hands uh, yeah. on the offensive end. but uh, And then defensively, you just can't survive with him at this point in his career. He's just not ready. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, okay, guys, we got to uh, got to get out of here. That was, that was a good show. I think we got a lot off our chest, so I hope you guys feel better going into your Saturday now and get enjoyed a little bit <laughs> now that we were all able to vent. But, uh, but, yeah, just looking ahead real quick. So the Hornets get four days off here. Uh, Wednesday, they have a nationally televised game against Cleveland, which is a super important game uh, against a Cleveland team that has certainly struggled to open the season, been a little better here recently. Uh, But again, four days rest for Charlotte. Um, And the Cavs will just come in on one day of rest. So that's a game that you got to circle and say the Hornets need it very, very badly at five and seven now overall. Uh, Remember, this is, again, a nationally televised ESPN game. It'll be 8 p.m. So don't be alarmed if you can't find it. Um, on Fox Sports South at 710, which is the usual tip-off time for the Hornets at home. It will be nationally televised on ESPN. Uh, Nick Batum possibly going to return. He has already done some uh, one-on-one stuff. Uh, I'm sure he's going to try to practice on Monday and Tuesday with the team. And if he's able to get through both of those practices, I would imagine that they're probably going to go ahead and and call him uh, likely to play. So that would be great to have Batum back. 
All right, guys, let's let's wrap this. Thank you for t- tuning in to episode 43 of Buzzbeat. Uh, Hornets, obviously, if you've listened to this entire episode, have hit a rough stretch. Uh, but back home on Wednesday, and you got to keep moving forward here. Um, this team is yet to play at full strength again. So you got to think that's going to play a big role when Batum is able to get back. Uh, Richie, I want to let you plug real quick. We're going to have a Periscope show on Wednesday night for this Cleveland game. Some folks have probably tuned in with us on those in the past, but tell them if they have not what to expect there. Yes. Uh, join us Wednesday on Periscope after the Cleveland game. Uh, we're going to have another buzzcast. Uh, we'll give our just quick instant reactions to the game. It shouldn't last longer than 10 minutes. Um, and hopefully, 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 fingers crossed, uh, we'll be talking about a win uh, for the Hornets uh, on that nationally televised game. So make sure you've downloaded the Periscope app so you can interact with us and and again, thank you guys for your support, and we'll see you Wednesday. Uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us on the 43rd episode of BuzzBeat. If you're listening to BuzzBeat and you're not subscribed, um, guys, I-, I have no clue what you're waiting for. Uh, by subscribing to BuzzBeat through Apple's podcast, Android, Stitcher, Overcast, or whatever app you prefer, you'll be sure to get our episodes the minute they come out. We appreciate all the support so far and continue to promote our podcast to your friends. Until next time, uh, go Hornets. Let's play some better basketball. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.